0: We hope you'll be blessed and inspired and challenged and motivated by this fresh word from Christian Heritage Church. We
1: understand
0: that uh, things are not very pleasant. Things can be difficult when we're living in a
1: dark world. Things can be challenging on a daily basis. It kind of reminds me of the old couple who'd been married over 50 years and the wife got sick, went to the hospital, and they thought maybe there's not a lot of time for her left here on planet Earth. So when they got back home, she said to her husband, go to my closet. Up at the top of my closet, you'll find a shoebox, and I want you to get it down. He knew of the shoebox. She'd always told him, leave it alone. Don't mess with it. It's not for you. Now she told him, go get it and bring it down. So he went and got it and brought it down and opened it up. And in it, he saw two crocheted dolls and $95,000 in cash. He said, my goodness, I don't understand what this from. She said, well, before we got married, my mom told me every time I got mad at you, you, I needed to crochet a doll. And he thought, well, two dolls, that's not bad at all in over 50 years. He said, I understand the dolls, but what's the $95,000 for? She said, that's the money I made from selling the dolls. (laughs) Sometimes life is not easy. Sometimes we live with a challenge in front of us that we have to learn to overcome. So when we look at 1 Peter, we understand that Peter is writing to a group of people who, according to the Scripture, were driven out of Jerusalem after they came to know Christ as their Savior. They fled because of persecution, and they returned to their own homes. And then even when they were back home in Asia Minor, we see that they continued to suffer persecution and pressure. By the way, you need to understand that anytime there's pressure, it's setting us up for persecution. When there's pressure from the world or pressure from the culture or pressure from the government against the church of Jesus Christ, that's the onset, the first step towards persecution against the church. Look in Acts chapter 4. The first time in that passage you'll see that pressure was placed against the church of Jesus Christ. Peter and John were brought before the Sanhedrin. They were commanded never to speak again in the name of Jesus and then they let him go. That's pressure. Go to Acts chapter 5, they arrested them for the very same thing. They beat them and threw them in prison. That's persecution. Acts chapter 7, they took it a step further when Stephen was stoned for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's persecution. So when you see things moving in society, you have to be wise enough to know and understand something more is coming down the pipe. Listen, I'm not a doom and gloom preacher, you know that, those of you that know me, I'm very positive. But I also want you to understand, in the day and the age in which we live, we are feeling pressure. ...against the church of Jesus Christ. There are those who want to silence the voice of true, born-again, spirit-filled Christians. So as a believer, you need to understand, with pressure follows persecution. You need to prepare yourself, and that's why this series of messages... By the way, this wasn't supposed to be a series. It was supposed to be one sermon last week. But as I told you, I have three hours' worth of notes, so now it's a series, okay? So we need to understand, what this series... We are preparing ourselves spiritually and mentally and emotionally for the days that lie ahead. If Jesus tarries his coming, you can be assured that it's not just Christians in the Middle East that will know persecution. It's Christians worldwide that will come under persecution. So we need to understand that and be aware of that. The same things that Peter was writing to the church in Asia Minor apply to you and I today. So let's pick it up in 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll read verses 1 through 4. I've got a bit of a ring up here, JB. If you could turn that down, I would sure appreciate it. The Bible says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again into a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, but is reserved for you in heaven. When you read verses 3 and 4, you need to understand that's our mantra. Those are our marching orders. We understand that we can live for Jesus Christ because through his mercy, he has saved us. And through the resurrection of Christ, he has given us a living hope. Our hope is not false. Our hope is not based in something that is not true. But we have a living hope. And that hope, according to the writer of Hebrews in chapter 6, then becomes the anchor of our soul. And you understand that analogy. It's an anchor that holds a ship When the waves and the wind come against it. It's an anchor that keeps it in place and keeps it from being tossed to and fro and blown over and capsized. The same way hope works in our lives today. When we understand life is more than what I see. Life is more than what I experience. Life is more than what I can feel here today. I'm living not for today. I'm living for an eternity. I'm living for a hope that's in heaven. I'm living for an assurance that one day we will spend eternity with Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So that hope is ours and it becomes a living hope as we press in and follow him today. So last week we talked about the introduction of this message. Today let's deal with point number one. When we're living in a dark world, you and I as believers need to learn to respond with passion. And hear me when I say we need to learn to respond with passion. Because often when we're facing pressure, or we're facing persecution, the natural response is to run. The natural response is to walk away. The natural response is to try a different path, to escape the pressure, to escape the persecution. But you need to understand the response of the believer is to be spiritually conditioned, emotionally strong, mentally affirmed in the fact that Jesus loved me. He gave himself for me. He died on Calvary for my sins. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. And if he did all that for me, I can stand for him. That's got to be in our heart, in our mind, in our emotions in order to be mentally strong. Unfortunately, a lot of us in Christianity today are like the airline pilot who came over the intercom and said, Folks, I've got great news. We've got a great tailwind. We're moving really, really fast. Also got bad news. Our navigation system is out, so we have no idea where we're going. Come on, folks, you got to know where you're going. You may have all the steam and all the power in the world, but if you don't know where you're going, if you don't know the objective, you're going to go off course and drift away. Passion allows us to know where we're going. When you read the epistle that Peter wrote to these individuals, you quickly understand that he wasn't writing to ease their burden. He wasn't writing to say, it's all going to be okay. He wasn't writing to say, this too shall pass. But rather he was writing to say, you need to toughen up. You need to get serious about your faith. You need to recognize there is a King of kings and Lord of lords. He will come to your aid. He will come to your rescue. It just may not be the way you anticipate. But he will see you through. Matter of fact, he said in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, I beseech you as aliens and exiles. That's really all I want you to hear. You see, when you come to the kingdom of God, you become an alien to the world. You've been exiled from the culture that is around you. And you become a citizen of the kingdom of God. So don't think it's strange, as he says in chapter 4, verse 12, the fiery trials that are coming against you. That's common and that's normal and that's ordinary if you're an alien, if you're an exile in the current culture. Expect it. He goes on to say in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 21, Christ suffered for you, leaving an example. I like that. That you should follow in his steps. He suffered for you, leaving an example that you should, he should follow in your steps. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 9 says, don't return evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you have been called that you may obtain a blessing. So when you read the writings of Peter, you recognize he's writing to these individuals and to you and I, by extension, challenging us to live a life that can be difficult in times of pressure and in times of persecution. He says that when times get rough, don't back away, but press in, because when you press in, you'll find the power to overcome. I loved the worship set this morning. Tom didn't know what I was preaching on other than he knew it was about passion. But every song, did you notice, talked about the victory that is ours through Jesus Christ. Oh, come on church, it's time to fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, who for the love of you suffered the cross, despising the shame, and moved forward. So let's talk about passion today. Passion makes things great. Passion is what causes armies to sacrifice themselves in battle. Passion is what enables and drives scientists to find new cures for disease. Passion is what equips athletes to break records and set goals to get to the Olympics. Passion is what sustains you when you're ready to give up. You see, Jeremiah said it this way in chapter 20. He said, I'm sick and tired of talking about God. I've had all the persecution I want. If you read between the lines, that's really what he's saying. I've had all the persecution I want. I'm tired of being picked out. I'm tired of being singled out. I'm tired of all these people saying bad things about me. I'm done. I'm up to here. You ever been there? I'm fed up, he said. But then he says in Jeremiah chapter 20, I tried to be silent, but I could not. For his word was as a fire shut up in my bones and I couldn't keep my mouth shut. What am I saying? I'm saying what's burning in your belly this morning. What ignites your life? What inspires you? What infuses you with power? Oh, you may say, I'm not going to do that again. I'm done talking to that person about Jesus. I'm not going to witness for him anymore. But before you know it, you're right back there doing the same thing. Why? Because passion drives you to talk about what infuses you and fuels your life. You can't stop it. Nothing great is done without passion. Nothing great. Oh, listen to me, folks. I made the determination that if things get black in America and things being happening here as they do in the Middle East, then I want to be the first one they come for. I want my name to be at the top of the list. I want people to know there is a guy in Tallahassee, Florida that will not compromise, that will not give in, that will not stop talking about Jesus Christ. Oh, come on. It's time to sell out and be radical and passionate for Jesus Christ. They say, I want to be the one they come for when they come. Scripture is filled with illustrations. I'll just give you one right quick. Her name was Esther. Really, she was very little more than a teenage girl. The story is set in the book of Esther, when the king of the Medes and the Persians had his current queen, Vashti, displease him. She said, go find me a new queen. So they searched the entire land and found all the very pretty young ladies, teenage girls, basically. And they brought him in, and for lack of a better term, they put him in his harem. And they allowed each one of them to go before him to see if he pleased them, and Esther, who happened to be a Jewess, was chosen as the new queen. Now the king didn't know she was a Jew, it didn't really matter to him, she was just the most beautiful woman. He wanted her to be the king, queen. So we find out as we read that story that there was a guy in the king's court by the name of Mordecai, or excuse me, by the name of Haman, who hated Jews. He hated Jews because of one Jew. Because one man, whose name was Mordecai, refused to bow to him, refused to honor him. Mordecai would only bow to God, the living and the true God. He wasn't going to honor man with that type of obedience and worship. So the Bible says Haman concocted a plot to destroy all the Jews throughout the Prosian Empire. And he got the king to sign the decree that on a certain day and a certain month, every Jew would be annihilated. And they would take everything the Jews owned as their own. When Mordecai found out about it, now this is the way God works, he just happened to have someone in the, on the inside. Her name happened to be Esther. She happened to be the one chosen as the new queen. And he sent word into her by way of uh, her servants what was happening in the realm of the Medes and the Persians and what was going to occur to all the Jews. And then he said these words to her, chapter 4, verses 13 through 16. Mordecaius told them to answer Esther, Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. What was he saying? Just because you think you are sheltered, you're not secure. Listen, folks, there's an application for us right there. Just because we live in the United States of America doesn't mean persecution will not come to the church of Jesus Christ. You need to understand it. Get it in your heart. Get it in your spirit. Just because you think you're sheltered doesn't mean you're secure. He's going to say, for if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I believe there's a God in the heaven who's going to hear our cry. And whether you choose to be a part of the answer or not, he's going to bring an answer. Come on, that applies to some of us here today. We want to be casual Christians. We want to be Sunday morning Christians. We want to show up and witness for God when we feel like it. The word tells us it's high time that you and I stood fast for Jesus Christ. We need to understand the day of wishy-washy Christianity is gone. The day of one hour on Sunday morning, it's gone. I'm talking about a lifestyle that consumes you, a passion that envelops you, a fire that fills you, that will not allow you to be silent and be satisfied with one hour on Sunday morning. If you remain completely silent, somebody needs to hear it again. If you remain completely silent, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another's place. But you and your father's house, will perish. And then I love the last statement, yet who knows? Who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Oh, when you're impassionate, you're constantly looking for a purpose. Why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? Who am I supposed to be influencing? Who do you want me to touch today with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Who do you want me to love today who needs to know there's a Savior who loves them and gave themselves for them? Oh, come on, hear me, church. It's time to understand. When we live with passion, it fills us with purpose. And we're constantly looking for ways to show Jesus Christ. Regardless of what those around us may say or do. Who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai. Go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan. That's the capital city. And fast for me. Neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law. You understand no one came before the king without an invitation. If you came without an invitation, he had the right and the authority to take your head right then and right there. And he did it many, many, many times. Esther knew this. She was breaking the law if she went in uninvited, if she wanted an audience without first having the invitation. She said, I will go to the king, which is against the law, and if I perish, I perish What is she saying? She's saying that passion that's burning in Mordecai for our people is now burning in me. And I don't care the result. I don't care what happens. I will intercede. I will stand in the gap. I will be the person who tries to make the way of escape for a nation that is doomed and destined. Oh, hear me, church. America's not doomed yet. It's still time for the people of God to rise up as Esther of old and say, I will go to the king. I will approach the king. I'll take my nation to the king. I'll ask the king for intercession. I'll ask the king for help. And if I perish, I perish. You see, she got it. She understood it. It's not about living in pleasure, living in prestige, living in all kinds of, uh, of uh, popularity. It's not about living in a place where every need is provided. It's not about the opulence of being the queen of media Persia. It's about coming to the king with a request for my people. Come on, we need to understand the gospel. I'm just going to say it. We have polluted the gospel of Jesus Christ in the last 30 years. We've made it nothing more than a bless me, bless me, bless me doctrine. It's come to the point where if God doesn't do what I tell God to do, then I'm not going to have any more to do with it. If God isn't my genie in the bottle, when I rub him a certain way and poof, he performs a miracle for me, then I'm done with all of that. Listen, it's time for the passion that infused Queen Esther to infuse our lives today so that we say, I'm going to approach the king. And if he gives me the answer I want, that's fine. If he doesn't, I'm still coming and approaching him. I'm still interceding. And if he kills me, he kills me. But I will not give up what God's put in my heart to do. Somebody needs to get it this morning. It's time to live with passion. Time to live with a fire in your belly. It's time to understand God is calling us to a higher level, to a higher plane. He's calling us to live as we have never lived before, to live with passion. For you see, when we live with passion, it turns the impossible into the possible. When we live with passion, when we have a fire shut up in our bones, when we determine the only thing that's important to me is pleasing the one who died for me, it changes the way we live. It changes the way we view society. It changes the way we view our circumstances. It changes the way we feel about that person who offended us. I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll get to that later. It changes our relationships when we live with a passion, without passion. Our life is dull and drab and boring. And I'm fed up with boring Christians. I'm fed up with those who like religion but don't have a lot of affinity for Jesus Christ. I'm fed up with those who are more interested in the rules and the regulations than the life-giving power of the Son of the living God. Oh, come on, it's by His abundant mercy that we have a living hope today. It has nothing to do with you and everything to do with Him. Get that in your heart and get that in your spirit this morning. He wants you to understand that when you were born again, He deposited passion in you. Some of you need to think back to that moment. Some of us have been saved for long, so long we've forgotten what it was like to be lost. We've forgotten what it was like to be hopeless. We've forgotten what it was like to be with with sin and covered in iniquity. We've completely forgotten it. It's a good thing every now and then to go back and remember what he brought me from. And then let him refill me with passion one more time again. Along this line, one day a man walked up to Jesus. He said, Jesus, what do I have to do to have eternal life? You know what Jesus said to him? Well, you know the commands. Honor your father and mother, love God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself, all those things. And he said, these things I've done since I was just a little boy. And then Jesus said, well, there's only one thing you're lacking. Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. When Jesus boiled it down, you know what he said? He said, if you're going to live a passionate life, it involves two things. Loving God and loving people. It's that simple. It doesn't go any deeper than that. You know, sometimes I get so fed up with these believers who are looking for deeper things and they forget I'm supposed to love God and I'm supposed to love my neighbor. They walk through life with their head in the clouds. They ignore the plight of those around them. They couldn't care less about someone that's hurting or suffering or looking for help or looking for an answer. Oh no, they're way too spiritually for that. I'm going into the deep things. I'm going into the deep. Give me a break. If you can't love God with all of your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and if you can't love your neighbor as yourself, you're not getting deeper, you're getting shallower. You may be a mile wide, but you're still only an inch deep. Come on, church. Jesus said the only thing you have yet to do is love God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your body, and then you need to love your neighbor as yourself. It's a powerful statement. Love God and love people. And don't do it in some wimpy way. Don't do it like Christians in America. 64% of America say they're Christian. But we don't see the evidence. Don't do it like Christians in America. Love God passionately. I love the way it says it in the message. I didn't give it to them on the screen, but I'm going to read it to you. Love the Lord your God with all your passion with all your prayer, with all your intelligence, with all your energy, with everything that's within you, love the Lord. Because if you do that, it's going to change the way you live. It's going to change the way you interact with those around you. It'll change your marriage. It'll change your family life. It'll change your relationships at work. It'll change your relationship with your neighbor if you love the Lord with everything that is in you. And then love your neighbor as yourself. See, Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, do it with all your heart as unto the Lord, not unto man. So no matter what you do, do it passionately. Listen, this message isn't saying that everybody's called to a pulpit. It's not saying that everybody's called to a microphone on the platform to lead worship. What I'm saying is wherever you're at, live passionately. If you're a plumber, live passionately. If you're a lawyer, live passionately. If you're a doctor, live passionately. If you're a shopkeeper, live passionately. If you're a mechanic, live passionately. Oh, come on, folks. Do you hear me? Everything you do, do it as though you love the Lord God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your body, and love your neighbor as yourself. Live passionately. Live passionately. Anyone here ever been in love? It's okay to raise your hands. This isn't a trick question, I promise I'm not going to come around and slap you, I promise. Do you remember when you first realized, I love that girl. Do you remember? You just couldn't be away from them. You couldn't spend one moment away. If you were away, you were on the phone talking for hours on end. Why? Because a passion was burning within you. What am I saying? I'm saying that if you're passionate about Jesus Christ, you want to be in his house every time the doors open. Oh, that hurts. If you're passionate about Jesus Christ, you've got to get in the Word every chance you have. You pray. You seek God. God speaks through you. He guides and directs your life. You're in a relationship based on love. He loved you and you love Him. And it's a passion that drives your life. Live with passion. Live with passion. seems that in America and in this culture, we are passionate about everything but God. We've got to temper that God stuff down. We can't get too radical about God. Let's not be extremist in our faith or in our worship. Let's, let's put, a, put a lid on that stuff. We can be passionate about sports. We can be passionate about movies. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm not meaning to offend you, Deborah. All right, here we go. go stay with me. A few months ago when Star Wars came out, my wife told Deborah that I'd never seen any of those movies, and I honestly had not. I was 10, 5% of the American population that had never watched a Star Wars movie. I knew I was in the minority, and I didn't care. I didn't care. But bless Deborah's heart, she decided that just wasn't right. And that Texas girl in her had to do something to help me, so she gave my wife every one of those Star Wars movies. <laughs> like she thinks putting them on the TV are going to make me watch them. So we went home after church on a Sunday, had lunch. She put them on. She's watching them. I'm doing everything in the world except watch the movies. I had a million other things to do that day. My schedule was so cramped, I just didn't have time. Well, that wasn't enough because when it came out, guess where my wife took me? you got to see this. This is the greatest movie I've ever seen in my life. So I was one of those billion people who went to see Star Wars. And I was amazed when I walked into the theater. There was this guy... Mike, stand up. He was Mike's age. He was Mike's size. And he had on this Jedi warrior costume and a laser light sword in a movie theater. And I said to myself, that guy's got something wrong with him. We need to be checking him into the nearest facility. He was passionate. Now, if you're passionate about Star Wars, that's fine, go ahead. But I am gonna make fun of you. That's just a little crazy. We are, we are passionate about everything except God. I can go to an FSU football game and people all around me are yelling and screaming and hollering and standing up and applauding and mourning and groaning when things don't go right. I mean, it's not a quiet place. You know what I mean? It's loud. It's noisy. They're celebrating and then they're mourning almost in the same instant. That's the way sports are. But if someone comes into church... And dares to lift their voice in praise to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. If someone dares to shout hallelujah. If someone dares to get happy and dance across the front. If someone dares to express the passion that is in them because of what he has done for them. Oh we put the lid on it. We don't want none of that around here. Oh I'm praying God set us on fire. Give us some problems to deal with. When I came here, they said, oh, you gotta be careful, or you're gonna get those folks talking in tongues and giving messages, and it just gets out of control. No, it doesn't, because the Holy Spirit is of order and decency, and if it gets out of control, it's my responsibility to put it back in control It's not yours. So can I encourage you? Take the limits off. Let the chains fall away. If you're gonna be a radical Florida State football fan, be a radical Jesus fan. We call them fans in the stadium. We call them fanatics in the church. I don't know about you, but I want to be a fanatic for Jesus Christ. I want people to know whose team I'm on, who I'm cheering for, who I identify with. And it's not a football team. It's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Come on, church. Get it in your gizzard this morning. It's time to be a fanatic. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you better do it. With all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your body. Completely, 100% bought in to who he is. Paul said it this way in Romans 12, 11, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Let me say it again. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep, and notice keep. If you have your Bible open, underline keep your spiritual fervor. Because that word implies it's not automatic. It's kind of like building a fire in a wood stove. You can build the fire and it'll burn hot until it runs out of wood and then all you have left is coals. And if you don't do do something with the coals over a period of time, they're going to die out as well. What am I saying to you? I'm saying it's time to come back once again and say, God, would you heap some wood on my fire? Would you blow on the coals of my spirituality? Would you one more time set me on fire so I can burn for you and people will see you in me? Make me a fanatic. Fill me with passion. Fill me with passion. And it means you got to maintain that passion. Or it will burn out. How does it happen? Happens this way. Somebody walks up to you when you're on cloud nine living for Jesus. They'll look you square in the eye and say, you just need to tone it down. This isn't the time or the place. We've all heard that stuff before. It's a personal choice whether we want to believe or not. And it becomes a damper on our soul. It begins to be a damper on our You know what a damper is, it, don't you? When you're burning a wood fire, you turn the damper to slow or to retard the fire. To keep it from burning so hot, so ferociously. They put a damper on your spirit and on your passion because of what they say. Or a circumstance comes and you begin to pray and the answer didn't come like you thought it should. puts a damper on your passion. Listen, I've got news for you. Whether God heals you or not, you still be passionate. Whether God provides for you or not, you still be passionate. Whether God proves himself or not, you still be passionate. Why? Because he did it all at Calvary. He's already proven everything, provided it all at the cross, and he doesn't have to prove anything to you today. Quit allowing circumstances to damper your passion. To put the fire out that's burning in your spirit that God set there. So when I'm talking about passion, you need to understand it's not about age. Okay, I'm going to read your mail right now. Those young people, we want them to be passionate. Oh, those folks with Daniel and Jessica, we want them to jump up and down. We want them to worship. We want them to scream and holler. Those folks with Chris hanna college and young professionals, we want them to be passionate. But when we come to the sanctuary, let's just take it down. Let's not get radical. We are now mature. No, you're dead. Come on! You do realize that maturity in Christianity is code for dead. The fire's gone out. There's nothing there. There is no life left in me. Oh, come on, one more time. Father, would you set a fire in the bones of those of us who are over 50? Set us on fire! And let us burn for you one more time. Let us burn for you. It's not about age. You can be old and on fire. You can be young and on fire. Has nothing to do with personality. See, that's your other excuse. Well, I'm just not an extroverted person. I'm very shy. I'm withdrawn. You didn't know me when I was 18 years old. I was too. I would never envision myself standing in front of a congregation and preaching the word of God. What am I saying? I'm saying your personality does not preclude the passion that's burning in your spirit. You need to know and understand you may be quiet and shy and timid. But when the Holy Ghost gets a hold of you, he's going to give you words to speak. And you cannot keep your mouth shut and be silent. It has nothing to do with your personality. You may be an introvert, and you may say, I'm an extrovert. But you need to understand it has nothing to do with you or me, and everything to do with Him and the fire He puts in our spirits. It has nothing to do with personality. Everyone born of God was given passion at their new birth. We're wired that way. God gave us feelings. God gave us emotions. He created us to feel and express What he's doing in our hearts and in our lives. And I know that bothers some of you. Because for years, Pentecost has gotten the rap that you're just a bunch of emotional fanatics. Let me tell you something. I would rather be branded an emotional fanatic for Jesus Christ... Then set in some dead, dry, religious existence that never has a bit of life, that doesn't understand the power of a resurrected God, that wants nothing to do with the living Christ. Their hope is dead. My hope is alive. And because of that every now and then, I'm going to get excited. Every now and then, I'm going to express that passion to those around me. We are created to be passionate people. So how do we lose that passion? We're going to come down this road and wind it up today. How do we lose that passion? How do we lose that enthusiasm? I mean, you remember the day when you rolled out of bed every morning. You couldn't wait to start the day because there was something that you loved to do and you loved to be involved with and it fueled you and it drove you and you couldn't wait to get to it. But then something happened. Something occurred in me. Remember the day when they couldn't keep you out of church? Remember the day when no one around you could stand your singing, but you sang anyway? You all missed it this morning. But in one of those songs, I was singing, and I missed the lyrics. Thank God I wasn't mic'd. You're going to thank God in several levels for that, because I don't sing. Hudson, standing beside me, looked at me and grinned, and he said, You missed the words, Pop. Yeah. Do I care what a nine-year-old says when I'm worshiping God? Absolutely not. Nor do I care what a 90-year-old says when I'm worshiping God. Because it's not about you, it's about Him. Now I promise you, I'll never do that in a microphone. If I do, JB will mute me so you're not tormented, you're not persecuted in that way. How do we lose our passion? How does that drip out of us? Three things that kill your passion. Resentment kills your passion. That should have been me. I don't know why they chose him or her instead of me. That should have been me. That just isn't right. I shouldn't be treated that way. Do you know what they did? Do you know what they said? And that resentment carries a burden that will steal your passion. You become an embittered, cynical, doubting believer when you allow resentment to rule your life. Second thing that steals it is jealousy. I can't believe that guy can't sing a tune, carry a tune in a bucket. I can't believe I'm a professional and they chose them to do that work. They were promoted at work ahead of me and I've been here ten years. They've only been been here eight. Jealousy. Jealousy. That's the life I wanted, but this is the life I've got. And I don't much like it. That believer's living in a $400,000 house, and I'm living in a $40,000 house. They're driving a Mercedes, and I'm driving a Hyundai. Just isn't right. Isn't right jealousy begins to rage the green-eyed monster begins to rule you until you can't see anything accurately or correctly everything is diffused through that lens of jealousy and you come to the place where you say nobody really likes me they don't miss me if i'm not at that church they don't care if i'm there or not i don't do anything to help them out jealousy rules and wounds your life and steals your passion the third thing is anger that's not dealt with you see anger is not a sin not handling it properly is the sin. Paul said, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down on your wrath. What's he saying? is every day, settle the accounts. Make it right every day. What did Jesus say to his disciples? If someone offends you, they said we should forgive them seven times a day because that's what the law states. But what did Jesus say? Now you got it wrong. That's the old way. I'm talking about the new way. The New Way says not seven times a day, but when your brother offends you, you forgive him seventy times seven times a day. That's powerful stuff. You see, unresolved anger will steal your passion. It'll pull you right, pull it right out of your spirit. It puts the fire out in your bones. It makes you weak and anemic. It makes you disenfranchised. It makes you discouraged when you don't deal with the emotion of anger. God is saying to this church today, there's some things we need to deal with. You need to take a hard look. Are you resentful? I didn't plan to say this, but I need to. Listen, I look at the history of this church, and there's a lot of reasons for some of you to be resentful. Things have happened that should never have happened. I get that. I understand that. You were hurt. I understand that. But if you're going to be mature as believers, not just dead, but really mature and growing as believers, if you're going to move on the path that God has set before you, you've got to let that stuff go. You've got to turn it loose. You've got to say it's not going to control me any longer. I will not be a captive of resentment to the past so that it robs my passion and I'm ineffective today. Some of you need to let it go. Exercise forgiveness and let it go. Matter of fact, Jesus said if you come to the altar with your gift and you remember that your brother has an offense against you, leave your gift, go to that brother... Attempt to reconcile, because you understand, because you go and try to make it right, doesn't mean they're going to let you make it right. But it's not their action that's important, it's our action that's important. He said, leave your gift, go to your brother, and try to remedy the offense. Try to make amends. Try to build the bridge that's been destroyed in that relationship. Then come back and offer your gift to the Lord. See, that's what Jesus says. Matter of fact, he said it a little stronger in Matthew chapter 6. He said, forgive us our debtors as we forgive those, let me use the phrase, sinned against us. See, if we, we need to understand if we aren't willing to forgive those who've offended us, God has no responsibility to forgive us. That's the scriptural principle. So resolve resentment, resolve jealousy, resolve anger. Job 5.2 says, Resentment destroys the fool. Jealousy kills the simple. Resentment destroys the fool. Jealousy kills the simple. Job 18.4 says, You're only hurting yourself with your anger. If we want to live a passionate life for Jesus Christ, we've got to deal with these three things. And we've got to say one more time, Father, set a fire in my bones. Start a fire in my belly. Because we're living in a day and an age when if you don't have the fire of the Holy Ghost burning within you, you won't make it. You won't stand. You've got to have passion to live for Jesus today. Heads about bowed and eyes are closed across this room. I didn't get to Acts chapter 16, but there's a story of Paul and Silas. They were beaten. They were put into the deepest prison in Philippi. Their feet were placed in stocks. All because they chose to preach the gospel to that city. People got upset and they were persecuted. The Bible says in Acts 16, you can read it. At midnight, Paul and Silas begin to sing praises unto God. See, that's a lesson we need to learn. When the skies are dark and the light is extinguished, that's the time to sing praise unto God. When the doctor says, you're going to die, that's the time to sing praise unto God. When your bank account is empty, that's the time to sing praise unto God. When you don't know which way to go, that's the time to sing praise unto God. The Bible says they began to sing praise to God at midnight. Suddenly a great earthquake shook the prisons. The chains fell off. The doors were open. The jailer, realizing what had happened, was about to fall on his sword and kill himself because he thought his prisoners had escaped. Paul called out to him and said, don't do that. We're all still here. And then read it. It's so clear in the book of Acts. That Philippian jailer said, sir, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You shall be saved and your household. You see, there's the promise for all of us this morning doesn't matter where we're at what we're doing how we've lived if we believe on the lord jesus christ he comes into our life and he changes us he brings salvation and redemption he fills us with a living hope and puts a passion in our spirit for him so you're here this morning and through this message you've been saying i like what you're saying preacher but i don't understand it applies to me because i'm not even a christian been around church familiar with it but i don't live for jesus well today's your day You can be just like the Philippian jailer and you can realize today if you call on Jesus, you shall be saved. That's you. You're in this room this morning. The Holy Spirit's been talking to you about your need to respond to Jesus and let him come into your heart and come into your life. That's you right where you sit. You need Jesus in your life. Would you slip up your hand and say, pray for me? Yes, someone else. Yes, someone else. Yes, someone else. So wait another moment. Just lift up that hand. Pray for me. I need Jesus.
0: Our prayer is that God will take this word and plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. Father, we pray for your great wisdom to infiltrate this listener, draw them to you, and take them gently down the road to their next destination in life. And if you're in need of a home church, we invite you to join us at Christian Heritage Church on Shera Road in Tallahassee, Florida